Over the last 15 years, I've worked in and with various nonprofits. And while each has had a worthy mission and made tremendous impact, one of the things I've always seen is that they worked in silos and these silos often held them back. But why? I mean, isn't it our mission as nonprofits to work to make a difference? Why do we continue to work alone? How can we put bureaucracy and differences aside to get to the core of the issues and break down barriers that our communities face? How can we advocate for true inclusion and supports that further collaborative efforts? Join me, Monique Curry-Mims, as I sit down with community members, leaders, funders from our community and around the nation to gain insight, best practices, and resources that will help define how to work collectively to not only further your mission, but to implement real and lasting solutions in our communities. Welcome to 360 Philanthropy. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of 360 Philanthropy. Today, I am honored to be here with Mr. Michael O'Brien. Hello, Michael. Hi, hi. I'm going to give you a little background on him because he's pretty awesome. He's one of my favorite people. Thank you so much. So Mr. Michael O'Brien is an expert practitioner and researcher in the fields of community development, organizational culture, and human well-being. Hmm. who has spent more than a decade working directly with resilient yet underserved populations, including veterans, adults in recovery, returning citizens, and families experiencing homelessness. Since 2015, he has served as the Director of Learning at the Village of Arts and Humanities, a nonprofit that is headquartered here in North Philadelphia. He is currently a Corzo Fellow with the Corzo Center for the Creative Economy at the University of the Arts and an Innovation Fellow at Drexel University's Lindy Institute for Urban Innovation. And if that wasn't enough, because I'm not sure where you have the time, <laughs> he is also the founder of HD2 Solutions, a consultancy working with nonprofits, businesses, local government agencies, and their employees to transform how they understand and support human development, interaction, and performance. Wow. Thank you. Some wow. of that work all connects. It just sounds know, it real different. Connect, but it all it, connects. But you, when you're having to do it for different places and things that can get, you know, I have a, a full client roster. And sometimes <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. Subcontractors lot. make my world a little easier. Yeah, I'm getting to that it's point. A, it's a journey, time. though. It's a good journey. I'm, it glad, is I'm, good. I'm glad to be on more it. More management. Yes. And more learning. Leadership is a, a thing. It, it, it really is. And I feel like, you know, and I have all these, my husband bought me like Harvard Business Review books on leadership and I haven't really delved into them because I read so many of them in business school. I'm like, this is what my Christmas present was. But I'm like reading them now because I'm like, this is this is real because not everybody can be a leader. Yeah. Not you know everybody knows a how to really be a really great book and it's going to seem like redundant. Okay. First time manager. Interesting. It is an excellent book. That would be on my Amazon. I list. was stunned at how good this book is because it just you're like, oh okay. A friend a of mine who before. used to be um, deputy secretary of health innovation for Pennsylvania State, she gave it to me. She was like, when I click on this job, because she's a physician, right? Mm -hmm. And she did a bunch of policy work too. She's a family doctor who did research and then policy work. She um she was like, yeah, when I took on this role, it was new. It was this is different, right? Mm -hmm. And she was like, this is the first book I read and it changed my life. And she gave it to me, and I read that book. I said, oh, my God, this is so good. <laughs> well, First then, time manager. First, you heard it here first, I hope. 
uh, first time manager, we will be getting a copy of that. We will have a, uh, we're gonna have a book talk on that. Listen, at I'll the show end of up, the year. I wanna hear it. Okay, well, since we're here for 360 Philanthropy, yeah. let's talk about philanthropy. Let's do it. Let's do it, so first, let's define philanthropy from you, like okay. your definition of it, and how you are impacting Philadelphia within respect to it. Yeah. Um, this is a really good question in terms of definition because I feel like I'm constantly like excavating this definition, mm. right? There's traditional philanthropy, which you know, basically is giving, right? Right. Um, giving of money, some in-kind resources, typically money though. It's interesting. People also put time in that boat, right? Which is um, interesting, right? Because it could be problematic in some cases when what. The people need is money and we're like oh we're gonna give time you know it's like Whoa. but it helps those people who don't have the resources in that capacity feel of service in a way to give back and that is great but i question who that's for mm -hmm. right because if philanthropy is about me feeling good as the giver and it's lopsided right. it's like well how am i showing up on behalf of uh, of the people that are in need of some kind Maybe we need a new definition, a new word, because philanthropy is what? The love of humanity, right, right? Right, So if it's my love of humanity and I'm showing it through my time, talent, treasure, you know, mm -hmm. then that kind of go against your point of who's it actually for. It's yeah. my love and how I want to define my love, but my love might not be what you need. This sounds like a relationship This sounds like... <laughs> but I think that's actually a wonderful uh, point in terms of the relationship piece. Because when I think about the definition of philanthropy that's starting to you know come together for me, relationship is core. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, because there are varying levels of philanthropy, mm -hmm. varying capacities mm -hmm. in terms of giving, whether again it's monetary or in-kind or in time. Um, and depending on the kind of resources you have to give, uh, relationships really, really matter. They do. Because lots of money spent the wrong way can be really damaging. And I think that's just something we all have to sit with and like really think through. And I'm learning, you know. Yeah. Okay, so what is your definition? I don't really have one. You don't really one. have one. I don't, I think. You know what it's not, you, and you, or you question what it is, but you don't have your own definition. Yeah, I don't even know what it's not right now. Okay. Right? Like I read um, uh, Decolonizing Wealth yes. last year. It was like, pff, mind blown, right? Mind blown. Uh, and I'm reading Winner Takes All, right? Again, mind blown. And like, I don't know if I have a good definition of philanthropy after reading those two. I don't know. But I do know like there are assets that can be deployed right now. Shout and, out like, to Edgar. Yes. <laughs> um, and Anon. Is that how you say his name? Anon? No, but uh, no, the, the colonizing. Oh, the other one. The, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's Anon. Hopefully I didn't say that wrong. But like I'm Winner sure Takes All is a, a fantastic book. Um, but yeah, there are assets that can be deployed right now, and there are people and communities and issues and causes that need monetary support to get to the next level of existence or to continue surviving or to switch from survival to thriving, right? Because to me, that's the real goal. Like if right. I have to think, there's an iterative definition of philanthropy. If I have to think about the role of philanthropy, philanthropy should be undergirding the transition from survival to thriving. Right. We need a new word. You want to make me change my podcast uh -oh. too. Goodness gracious. Boom, boom. Okay. <laughs> I'm a troublemaker. I you think. are. I, I think you are. But that's why, you know, he's one of my favorite people and why you win all these awards. Oh and, boy. And, I, and I show up for the award. So I, snuck, I do appreciate you I, showing I, up. I snuck out at the last one because it was running a little late and I needed to get home. <laughs> and I was so mad. I'm like, where's Coat Check? 
And I'm like, where are all the coats go? They're like, oh, we moved it. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, take her to the to the exit. And it was literally behind the stage. And I'm like, these people can see me. <laughs> they can see me sneaking out behind the performers. I was so mortified. I'm like, I should go sit back down, but I'm already here. Like, are you kidding me? This was bad planning, but that I digress. Is so funny. <laughs> yeah, that is so funny. So, so you're surviving to thriving. And I feel like a part of that, there has to be room for social justice. And I feel mm. like, when I think of you, mm-hmm. that is the first thing that, that comes to mind as mm-hmm. with the work that you were doing as a leader in Philadelphia. So can you speak to what you do in that space and what successful social justice looks like? Like if you're really trying to make that impact, like what works and you know where should our leaders and organizations, like where should they be striving to be at? Man, you're asking, you're asking, excuse me, these really great questions that I wish I had. <laughs> Better like definite. <laughs> anyone who knows me knows like definitions are um, like a core thing for me, and I mull and poke and mind muse at definitions all the time. Um, I'm a language laborer, right? Mm. Like that is part of my <laughs> my world. Um, I don't know that I have a good definition or even a working definition of social justice. I am floored, humbled grateful that that's what you think about like this that even the term justice comes up when you think about me because when i think about justice i think about what is right on behalf of someone's well-being right. what is what is right and what is fair on behalf of someone's um existence state potential um social justice for me is a spiritual concept first mm. um i come from a way of living and, and a way of seeing life that says, I, you know, I didn't give voice. People are born with voice. There's this thing we talk about, uh, and particularly in like arts education or oh, right. other segments, like giving, giving voice. voice. And I always challenge work. people on that. I'm like, I don't, we can't, I don't really think we can give voice. At least that's not my working model for that, right? I can amplify your voice. I can intimidate your voice. I can threaten your voice. I can silence your voice, diminish it, minimize. I can share space for your voice. I can make space for your voice. Um, I can encourage it, you know, all the, but I can't give it to you because you're actually born with voice, right? And you're taught how to use it. It's modeled for you over time and you will either believe in the agency and power of that voice or you will believe in its disempowerment you will believe in the actualization of it not being a thing that you Mm -hmm. should even invest in right but like i didn't give you voice right um so i think about um justice kind of in that light of like people are worthy of justice all people because they are here Mm -hmm. i didn't give you voice i didn't give you life but you're here and because you're here and that's not my choice, my choice is not whether or not I get to honor your existence, right? I don't I don't think that is a fair choice for other humans. I think that should be a part of our social contract, right? And I think you've heard me Definitely. in writing in a couple of places talk about this idea of even moving from a social contract to a biopsycho social contract, something that actually mirrors how humans develop, right? We develop biologically, psychologically, socially, um, they even tacked on the word spiritual starting in 2014 to that concept in developmental psych, right? So now it's biopsychosocial, spiritual. But just to keep it a little simpler for folks, <laughs> I leave it at biopsychosocial. But I do think like that, that to me is justice. Everybody is worthy of just and fair treatment. Um, they're worthy of experiences of awe, joy, and wonder. They're worthy mm-hmm. of 
um, the space to make mistakes and to try new things and to fail and try again. Um, and all of that to me undergirds what it means to then actively try to think about how community creates just spaces for each other. Um, and what do we need to learn and what schisms and gaps we need to close to better show up for ourselves and for each other? Because if you can't show up for yourself, it's hard to show up for somebody else. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> I'm learning that all the time. I think that was one of the learnings that I had as I was shifting from working for others and working for myself. Because when you work for others, and in a lot of cases, your voice is, is their voice, right? Like you're a representative of them at all times. You have to watch what you say. And even when, you know, they might be doing something that does not, you don't agree with, it's like, oh, this, is, this is what they're doing. And I either right. got to like do it or like go find another job. So, you know, right now, I, I was just having this conversation yesterday. Like I am moving with purpose. Mm -hmm. Like I, I started this this organization to to move with purpose. And if, you know, clients or people who want to work with me aren't aligned with that, you know, and the purpose isn't of my own, but it's to make sure that we're making real impact and yeah. we're not just chasing money and we're not, you know, not tracking data that we're going to, we're actually trying to see where we're going to impact that we're making and we're working collectively with others. And if you're not about actually uplifting our community, then like I can, I can pass on this contract. This, I'm okay. Right. There's a certain amount of autonomy power that comes with um, being your own boss. I mean, there are challenges. Right, yes. Uh, there's a laundry <laughs> list, right, of challenges, but there is something powerful about that. And I do think to an extent I've had um, the fortune in a number of places where I've been employed and still employed at the village um, where I have that space, right? Mm -hmm. And I, that's a privilege in the 21st century. It is. When you said that earlier, I was like, oh, shoot, I might have to put an application in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, you know, we are, well, we will be hiring soon, so, you know. Okay. Keep you up. <laughs> but there is something about being able to maintain and grow your voice from a purpose-driven or an intentional space um, that is reflective of your values. Right. Right. Like that is, that in itself is a way to practice power that's denied so many people because of the, really the social contract of employment. Right. So, yeah. The, 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 rat, the rat race. So um, I wanna talk a little bit more about HD2. Yeah. HD2 Solutions um, came from this idea that I had, uh, oh, it's a bit of a play on words, right? So HD. High definition. High definition also okay. stands for human development, right. right? So the idea was human development, high definition. Two. Right, yeah. Well, two is squared. just because, yeah. So originally in my mind it was HD squared, but I was like, nobody wants to say that all the time. So then it just became HD two, and then I was like, that doesn't sound like what it is. And I was like, if I put solutions, people would be like, oh, consulting. So that's literally um, how the name came up. I'm actually working with a firm out of Canada, um, rebranding and reorganizing what I do from the end of the consultancy to other work that I do um, that just doesn't fully have a home mm -hmm. um, and, and working on giving it a home. And so where all this came from actually was the advice and guidance of um, a guy named Jeremy Nowak, who unfortunately passed away, right. who was my mentor through my fellowship at Lindy. And, you know, Jeremy is a brilliant man, um, was a brilliant man. 
you know, may his memory be a blessing. And, um, I have, I learned so much and still hear him in the back of my head, you know, just coaching me on growing a business. And his big thing for me was like, do not do ad hoc research and do not do any more ad hoc consulting. Build a company that houses your work for the next 40 years because you hit a pocket of work that'll take you through your lifetime. But you can't, you can't keep ceding to other people Mm. your well-being by not having something that nurtures you. Um, there was another, um, so the business is incubated out of IC at 3401 to mm-hmm. the Science Center. And there's a uh, gentleman there named Aaron Starosta. And we met through um, a focus group that Richard Florida convened uh, around workforce development and okay. the work of the future regarding, um, you know, low income workers, et cetera. And he, built incubators and accelerator programs all over the world. And he's been doing this for the Science Center for the last couple of years. And we met on this focus group. We had a lot of synergy and comments back and forth. And he asked me later in a conversation one-on-one was like, what's it like to treat yourself like a minimal viable product? And I said, whoa, no one. I don't think I've ever heard anyone ask me this before. Wow. Right. And I'm, and my first question would have been like, wait, am I doing that? And how do you see that? Yeah. And, um, you know, the big eye-opening moment for me was like, right. Right. People are buying me technically right, right. now. And Jeremy's point, and it, 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 that question opened up things for me, because Jeremy was still alive at this time, opened up things for me in that space that just had me thinking and probing and, and and trying to figure out like okay so if I'm the MVP people are buying me mm-hmm. and not MVP is most valuable player but the most <laughs> viable product right um what do I need to be sustainable and what do I need to do to create products that are permanently partable or services that exist outside of me that Hmm. build on my knowledge and my skill sets and my network and all of that. And that's been the work of HD2 Solutions, right? So like really we legitimately will work with a number of folks across a lot of sectors, right? You go into business and people are like, well, what's what sector of the market are you targeting? And I'm like, I don't know. This is all inbound right now. So <laughs> I've got hospital systems that are my clients. I've got community development financial institutions that are clients. I've got community-based organizations that are clients. Uh-huh. I've got government agencies popping up and asking questions and wanting me to help them do things or design things or they want to learn things to reimagine a program, whatever. Um, and so that's where it became clear that this was about humans, right? Like that's what right. was so hard about the work when trying to get to a market segment at first. Um, I, ha- I was focusing on how humans perform, how they develop relationships and cultivate relationships that undergird mm-hmm. skill development and performance, right? I was relying heavily on the science of learning, but also things like critical race theory um, and, and understanding the body's physiology as it relates to states of stress, trauma, um, but also states of growth and recovery, healing, learning, all of that, and like just amalgamating bite-sized things for people, funders, whoever. Um, and so we've developed services and offerings in that space, to hmm. trainings, keynotes, whatever. We do design. I have, my business partner is a fantastic designer, product design. He's done research work at IBM Watson. He built programs out of MIT. I mean, he's a, he's a, a beast. wildly. Yeah 
skilled man um, and just dope guy. And then, like I said, we got subcontractors, excuse me, subcontractors and things. And now where I'm at in terms of the market segment is like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate Jeremy and other folks who have been guiding me in this journey as a uh, contractor consultant I work with named Catherine, who is really big on this, like, what else are we put in the market? What are we going to market, right? I have people outside. Of me. I'm not a good capitalist. I have people <laughs> like at my neck. To, I'm a good thinker. I'm very analytical in the problem solving, and I take risk, right? And I'm adaptive as hell. So I got good people that prime me and poke me and know things I don't know and are smarter than me in a lot of areas. Um, and so now when I look at market segment, and we've figured some things mm-hmm. out, I look at, well, who's got the money Right. To help me sustain and grow at the rate that I want to grow versus who can I service, right? And that was a big learning curve for me. Yeah, yeah, and a big shift. And that has, but it's been super helpful and clarifying because it also makes it easier to be like, nope, not working with that anymore or not working with these spaces anymore. So I don't really work with schools anymore. You know what I mean? Not that I don't (laughs) want to, not that I don't think educators are dope, Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of hassle there and the market Uh return, you know, is not really there. Um, I but I will be working with, um, I believe it's the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers. There's a conference oh. coming up that I'm going to be speaking, doing a full day for them. I'm, inter- I'm surprised you weren't at the NAIS conference that was just there. NAIS, National Association of Independent Schools. Yeah, I'm I'm bad at conferencing. <clears throat> I think because I, I do, uh, this is another area where I'm really fortunate. I get hired to speak a lot mm-hmm. um, and do a lot of presentations and talks and keynotes and TED-like talks and all that. So... Um, I'm a little conferenced out all the time. <laughs> okay. So I try to like. I get it. <laughs> that's also, I get it. That's a, I feel like it was a very privileged thing to say, but I'm so grateful that people respond to this work though. Like that's what yeah. I find is people are responding to the content and resonating with it and finding relevance in it. And that excites me because it's about our humanity and the mechanics of it and how to like utilize the mecha- those mechanics to create well-being, to create justice. Right. And I think that's exciting. It is privileged, but also, I mean, you're human. You can only do so much on a robot. Yeah. So you said all of your work is interconnected. So how do you bring, you know, that mindset and the idea of human development back to North Philadelphia with um, the village. Yeah, I yeah. So it's a yeah. It's interesting to think. I don't even think about uh, think about it. Excuse me, as bringing it back. It's just integrated to yeah, who you are. It's just who I am. So that like that's just what's showing up. If you don't want that, then don't yeah. ask me to show <laughs> yeah. up. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just how that goes. So at the village, you know, one of the things that I'm really big on, and I share this with people all the time. It's like sure, um, Fair Hill, Hartram Fair Hill, the neighborhood has been in the news media for a number of like really not so healthy um, social factors and life outcomes, you know, lowest life expectancy in the city, um, the high, many times the highest poverty rate, right? Mm-hmm. Bouncing between Strawberry Mansion, Nice Town, lowest education you know, rates, Southwest and yeah, um, Fairhill, right? Lowest education, highest child abuse rates, it's the, uh, actually highest incarceration rate in the state mm-hmm. of Pennsylvania, in right? In the state. In the freaking state. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, right? So, but, but if you ask me, like, what is our goal at the village, mm-hmm. and particularly around like programming for young people nine to age 26, it's not to end poverty. Right? The goal is not to, and don't get me wrong, poverty needs to end. But my goal with the programming is not to end poverty, 
right? My goal with that programming is to create space where young people actually get the innocence of childhood return. Mm. My goal with that program is to stretch the hell out of their imaginations. Um, my goal is to give them opportunities to try on all kind of emotional skills and psychosocial skills and behavioral skills that will equip them for the future and for the future of work. Um, to provide them space to build relationships with adults that love and care about them who also work professionally in a number of sectors connected to art and media and design and blah, blah, blah. And in all of that, they are actually building relationships and tools that will help them manage stress, navigate trauma, that will also help them build a world for themselves over time where they could in poverty in their lives right right but i know that like if we took on the goal of ending poverty like as like the mission of these programs we're not attending to the human developmental needs that are really pressing and we do pay kids bi-weekly for being there it is a pre-employment pre-apprenticeship program right mm -hmm. so I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, he just said we don't got in poverty. Nah, bro, we put money in their hands right now today as, again, a way to get them acclimated to the world of work, right. um, but also to the future of work. I grabbed my phone <clears throat> because um, there was this new report, new, new plan that was released for Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Poverty. Oh this? yeah, I didn't read the whole thing. I read an Empire article. Philadelphia Poverty that, Action Plan. Listen, universal basic income. Let's give it a shot. So I haven't, I haven't delved too too deep in it. Uh, it's about twenty pages, but how do you feel? So I feel that. So I have no no judgment on it because I haven't yet read it fully, but I just question, you know. So we're going to give universal basic income, and you know, I think now the free college plan for CCP is part of that as well. And um, what are those actual outcomes, though? Like, how are you tracking? Like, what are your actual success indicators? Like, you're they have this big success indicator of you know how many people are going to lift out of poverty by 2040 but i feel like you gotta set some goals and metrics to hit yeah. that because 2040 are coming you're like all right what do we do but what were we tracking along the way what were our goals and metrics along the way just to make sure that we are on track and if not what are the learnings to shift so that we can be on track right um i feel like when we have these big grandiose plans that that sometimes gets lost then and i know they have big you know, big institutions that are backing us, like CCP and United Way and, you know, big corporations. But there are millions of nonprofits and community organizations in the city. How are they tied to it? How is the work that they're doing aligned with these metrics? Yeah, I think this is a wonderful opportunity for so many people to get involved, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think this is our, I think we have a real chance to, like, push conversation Philanthropy Week 2020. Yeah, no, and I, I, and I think we're going to have to be constant with it, yeah. right? But this also means that, like, this is a really great opportunity for many of us to get reacclimated, reeducated, or educated for the first time around a number of colliding issues that make poverty what it is. Right. Um, and figure out how we hold 
again, all these folks that you just mentioned accountable, right? The big institutions, the community-based organizations, the, the philanthropy networks of whomever and blah, blah, right. blah. Like we've got to be involved. Like all of us have all to be us. involved. And I think this is a great starting point it seems like because yeah. the article I read in the Inquirer mentioned that there's a whole lot they haven't figured out yet. Right. Which I was like, I actually appreciate you being that honest, right? right? Like I appreciate that kind of transparency because that's the kind of transparency we need in government. It is. For people to begin to reimagine their relationship to government mm-hmm. uh, because democracy is not going to work without that. Right. Or even the fact that you, you understanding that you don't have it all figured out means that you're hopefully putting steps in place to figure it out, having conversations and getting the knowledge and the partnerships to figure it out. Right. You're not just putting forward um, a, a plan to do so. So with that, so what's so what's next for you? You know, what are mm. what's the impact overall that you want to make on the communities of Philadelphia? If not the world, you know, you're partnering with Canada and things of such. So I'm like not partnering with Canada. The firm is in Canada. Whatever, I, whatever. I hear you. I appreciate that. Maybe one day I will partner with Canada. We'll partner see. With the Canada. world is fascinating and anything's <laughs> there's a lot of things that are possible, right? Um and I'm learning the dream big, right? Like right. that is a part of um my own personal journey. That said, um, you know, my biggest goal is to help the average citizen reimagine, there's a couple, one is to help the average citizen to reimagine what human development is Mm -hmm. and the active role they play in it for themselves and other people. Um, I think the other big thing for me is helping institutions and policymakers and funders and big business like reimagine their role mm. in human development yes. and in um, understanding the science behind, behind our humanity. There are so many myths, and this is to the third area. I want to clear up the myths. I want to help take there's so much knowledge that already exists right like i'm about generating new knowledge but then the other problem we have is we're generating so much new knowledge and the translation slash dissemination rates are so slow Mm -hmm. and people are still making i call big p policy like you know law but Mm -hmm. also small p policy organizational cultural practice standards procedures the whole nine um that are impacting folks they're impacting households they're impacting you know workplace stress travels to the house and therefore the kids are also dealing with stress, mm-hmm. let alone the stressors ecologically available to them in their own little universes mm-hmm. and worlds. So this, there's a lot of interconnectedness in the world. And I think starting with the science of our humanity and understanding the inputs to development, understanding that things like, you know, you don't have a choice on whether or not you're going to make meaning out of what happens to you. Like you don't right. get to check that box off or on or turn it off and on like a switch. Right. And meaning making um, and, and the, the, the mental model really of the world, your map of the world, your place in it, how it responds to you and how it generically works. It's going to keep by the process of meaning making uh, being um, uh, I don't want to say manipulated because that's not right, but it's going to it's dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. It is going to keep growing with you and maturing over time. And so we've got to really begin to understand what that means when people are making policy, right. having to imagine on behalf of whole groups of people and they don't understand their mental models, walks of right. life, the it's inputs so in their development, et cetera, right? John Powell, one of my favorite academics on the planet, you know, talks about poverty as an issue of belongingness. This is a brilliant article. I'll send it to you. It's a brilliant article. He wrote like six or seven years ago. But one of the things he talks about with policymakers is that, you know, the 
policy can only go as far as the policymaker's capacity to imagine on behalf of somebody else. And when you think right. about unconscious bias and all these other mechanisms at play that if you do not, through awareness, know that you need to do things to purposely get around that, right. um, you, you, this is only gonna go but so far, right? right? It's, why, it's actually partly why like the country, when gun violence is out of control in schools, we're like, what do we, how do we solve it? More guns, guns right? It's just like, like what? that's all we can imagine, man. Right? Um, and I'm not saying all people can only imagine that, right? right? There are plenty of us that can imagine a number of other things. Same with like justice, right? right. We can imagine other ways to deal mm, with but justice there's no than space just for their incarceration. Voice. Absolutely. Um, so that that's a large part of my work and what I want to do. And so it's partly like operations and mechanics around how to get that kind of information out there using media and technology and all that. You know, I'm an mm. artist first before right. I got into all this other stuff. So. I'm interested in using that world in landscape and edutainment, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the flip side is like internal mechanisms around organizations, operations, budgets. Like, how do we line those things up with our values right. and using this, again, the science of our humanity, start designing for humanity. Actually, I have mm -hmm. a framework I'm working on at Lindy, shameless plug, <laughs> called Design for Humanity. When what we're looking at from a research end is like there are constructs in human resilience, right. constructs in ecological resilience, and constructs in market resilience. And there's a lot of overlap between the three that I've found through early literature reviews. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, well, what is it like to operationalize like resilience building um, activities, mechanisms, et cetera, that sit at the intersection of all three of those things with the concept of humanity first? Which does mean we have to take care of the environment. Right. I mean, it might not be too late. Can we get you on the presidential nomination for 2020? Everybody dropped out. It would just be like Biden at this point. I think you might be up to I'm not going to get beat up by a seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually don't have any interest in electoral politics. Um, I would support great candidates. Mm. I would work for great candidates if they ever wanted me to do that. You know, but I don't... Electoral politics is a thing, you it know is. what I mean? You really gotta be ready for all that, and I don't wanna fundraise all day. Yeah, <clears throat> it's, it's a, I, I ran for office last year. and Did I you? Was, I did. I didn't know that. I did, and it made me realize that I'm not, I'm not built for that. Right. I'm not, you know, I can, I can play the background, I can, I can help get the job done, but, you know, I was trying to run a, a open and honest, you know, campaign and have some real conversations, and it was nothing but, lies and mudslinging and i'm oh, like geez. man this is for a school board like it's not even that serious <laughs> it's not even paid like what are we doing here can we talk about these babies and how we're going to educate them mm. i was like i'm not built i'm not built for this mm -hmm. but before i let you go and i appreciate everything you said i mean thank you yeah this was this was eye-opening and mind-blowing for me on like you just like i'm moving some of that way with my practice but I was feel like, oh shoot, I need to have like a, a consulting business roundtable with you and uh, really like. I will this. share all of my horror stories because I'm still <laughs> learning. I'm willing to share successes and horror, but this right, is right because I'm I'm yeah. going through the horror. So let me like let's avoid some of these horrors. Yeah, let's, we let's can have a support it. group. Yeah, and just share. Yeah, absolutely. So before I let you go, what you know, what nuggets of information and learnings, personal and professional, that have guided your philanthropic or I'll, I'll say your personal human development journey? Like what mm. took you there that you feel as though you can share with others to help them in their personal, professional understanding? 
Hmm, that's a good question. Um, you know, so I'm fortunate to serve on two boards mm -hmm. that hand out money every year, mm -hmm. you know, in the millions. Um, and doing the work on myself mm. to listen mm -hmm. to community members, to fellow board members, to people with differing opinions, um, doing the work on myself to always be authentically myself, right. but not take up so much space that you crowd out other people. Mm. Um, you know, like that, that is that balancing act. You know, I think one of the things that I'm still learning is I was reading something and they talked about balanced fire, right? The balanced fire of passion. Fire yeah. Because, okay. right, fire can consume everything. Right. But fire can also be exactly what you need to cook and make mm -hmm. and do and build. Right. Right. And so, fire unbridled. It's going to just eat everything right, up. Everything. And I'm a passionate guy, man. Hmm. Um, and there are times that I've been too passionate. Right. Right. And there are times I've been under passionate, right? <laughs> and that's what I mean by this, <laughs> the balanced fire, right? Undercooked food ain't good for you either, right? <laughs> but you also don't want to char it all up and right. burn up the stove. So that, that's been my journey is like the self-work, right. dealing with my own trauma, dealing with you know, growing up in poverty and moving out of that mindset, but still being able to sit in the realities that people um, are living through and not being disconnected from that. Because I could easily disconnect off and go run around in fancy circles, but that's not who I want to be and what I want to do. And I don't say that to brag at all. No. I just mean that, like, there is a point in your career where you're going to be able, you know, if you, you work hard enough and things are fortunate, because there's a part of the stuff that's out of our control, right? right. Like I, that's what I mean by like, I'm very fortunate and lucky. Um, but there is a point uh, for a lot of people, you work hard enough, the luck thing works out where you can just completely disconnect hmm. and kind of float up and keep floating up. And those are choices that people have to make. And I don't judge anyone for making the choices that they've made. I don't know your life, right? right? Um, but there is a level of disconnecting that can happen. And that a disconnecting looks different for everybody, right. right? And I'm not saying that that means you still gotta live in the place that traumatized you, because I also don't believe in that. You know what I <laughs> right. mean? Like, because your health and well-being matter, health is wealth. Right. You know what I mean? So like, but there is a way that people can disconnect. And I think the thing that I'm learning is how to authentically connect, stay connected, but authentically be healthy authentically show up, authentically be my spiritual show, self, authentically make space for other people, authentically take up all of my space because there's ways that I've acquiesced and then there are ways that I've taken up too much space and so balancing that out, mm -hmm. right? Like that that's the big thing for me. And the other is like, if you're gonna run a business, you gotta learn how to run a business. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's, know, like, that's, a good, that's a good nugget. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you You're again welcome. for joining me. This this has definitely been a pleasure for me. Me too. And I hope it was a pleasure for our listeners. I want to thank you guys for once again joining us um, on this episode and on this journey. Uh, our next episode is, <laughs> I'm not even sure how to explain it, but we're going to have a women's panel. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. And uh, 
Aaron Corbett Wright and hey. Jasmine Sussums are going to join me as we kick back and talk about motherhood and politics and and what we can do to leave Philadelphia in a better place for our children and mm. our youth. Mm-hmm. So thank you once again for joining us, and we hope to see you on another episode of 360 Philanthropy. This has been 360 Philanthropy. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, and even on our website at www.civiccapitalconsulting.com forward slash the dash collective as part of our collective philanthropic magazine. If there are any other places that you would like for us to distribute on, let us know. We want to make sure that we're hitting you and your community in the best places possible. Also, drop us a line and give us a review. We're new and we want to make sure that we are providing you and the community with the best possible resources, conversations, and insights that are going to be truly impactful. So give us a review. Give us some suggestions. Let us know what people, what organizations that you would like to hear from. Until next time, thank you for joining us. Be the change that you want to see. And I hope to see you soon.